Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, will discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Hello again, everybody. Pastor Jeff with you here on Kitchen Table Theology. And today's a little bit of a special day. We've got Ricky Alcantar with me. Jen is, I don't, we don't know where Jen is today. We, we can't find Jen, but uh, no, she's, she's around somewhere. But you just got me and Ricky today, a little bit of a bonus podcast for you. And Ricky is serving currently as the lead pastor at Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. I love the name of that church. Cross of Grace Church in El Paso. He's the main preacher. He provides or helps along with a team of elders and staff provide vision for their church family. Beyond that local context there in El Paso, Ricky serves on the Sovereign Grace Church's church planning group. And he's written for a number of publications like Vox, Balance, and so forth. He's also a graduate of UTEP. Come on, man. Texas, El Paso, Go Miners. Uh, and, and been to Sovereign Grace Pastors College and is working. Uh, he and I were talking before the podcast, continuing to do some seminary work at Phoenix Seminary in Arizona, Grace Seminary out there. He is married to Jen. He's got three sons. And I love this part in your bio, Ricky. He loves to think about writing instead of actually writing. That's right, man. <laughs> it's always more fun to think about an idea you're going to write. And then when the time comes to put pen to paper, oh man, here we go. It's work. I love it. <laughs> it is. It is work. But despite that, you are the author of a book called Better News. And we'll, we'll give you folks some more information about that. This is the first time Ricky and I have ever met. You know, some of our interviews before, these were people that I knew, but not today. We're together to get today. Because we have at least one thing in common, and that's a desire to see sound theology being sung in our churches. And I ran across a post that Ricky wrote a few weeks ago, and it really resonated with me. And it's entitled, Three Reasons We Should Sing Sound Theology. It was on a blog post from Phoenix Seminary, and the the title grabbed me, and I read it, and I read it again. And I think I read it again, Ricky, and I thought... Number one, this is so good. Number two, this is so sound. And number three, I want to see if I can get this guy on the podcast. So thank you for coming on and giving us your time today. And welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast. Oh, thank you, Jeff. It's a privilege, man. Love what you guys are doing here. Well, we have fun and uh, we love talking about God. And so, you know, anytime you get to do that, you're having a, having a great day. Three reasons we should sing sound theology. And in your post, and uh, Kitchen Table Theologians will link this post that Ricky wrote, and, and, and it'll be in the episode notes. You talk about a time you were 19, you just moved, you were doing an in- internship at a church, and suddenly you, felt you were told the worship leader couldn't make it. And for some reason, you volunteered to lead worship. And then you started to have some, oh, no thoughts. Tell us about, about that, because that ties in to all of this. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, when I was, so I grew up, you know, as a teen playing on the worship team, you know, and uh, we had good worship pastors and leaders. And so they would give us the songs and we would just show up. The songs would be there that we'd rehearse and, and play. And somehow I find myself leading worship for a college ministry because their worship leader got sick. I just arrived for this internship. I think I'm like, we're on the way. And they they were like, hey, is there any, you know, is there any chance you can lead worship? And I said, well, I, 
I think I just said something general, like, well, I play the guitar, you know, and I could probably kind of bleed through a couple songs, you know, and, and it was like, say no more. That sounds better than nothing. Let's, let's go. So sure, they God. give me the, they give me this songbook of songs. And it was one of the first times I think I had to really go, okay, I, there's a group of people. What are we going to sing? I mean, I can play through something, but instead of just having the songs provided to me, I, it was like, well, I, I'm now in charge of deciding what to sing. And that kind of led me to see that there was kind of a disconnect in my mind between, I, I love reading theology books, you know, in my teens as well, but I never connected that to the songbook and kind of gone, okay, wait a minute. What's the connection between say Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, which was the one I read, you know, my teens to this book of songs and how do they affect each other? So from then on, I think I've always been interested in that connection. And it's a huge connection. It's uh, so vitally important. Absolutely. And you, you flesh that out in this blog post and you say that our singing reveals our theology and our singing shapes our theology and our singing doxologizes, doxologizes, yeah, doxologizes our theology. Now I know what that means more than I can pronounce it properly, but I love, I, I love your, your, your word choice there. Talk about how our singing reveals our theology. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I th- and I think it's, it's such an interesting exercise to kind of go to, okay, especially if you're a pastor, if you're in charge of picking songs or, you know, or picking songs in some context, like a college ministry, and, and just look at the songs you're picking. Or maybe if you're just a Christian, look at the playlist that kind of goes over and over in your mind as you're getting ready in the morning. And I, first of all, I love, I love that people are, that, that, that people love uh, worship music. I love that that is still a priority and, and a love for many Christians. But I think a lot of times, like you're talking about kitchen table theology, a lot of times we'll, we'll read good theological books and resources and have kind of a sound theology, as it were, when it comes to, well, these are the things I believe. But the songs we love and gravitate to and listen to don't always line up with that sound theology. And, and, and you know, and I'm not here to I mean, I know songwriting is hard, so I'm not, I'm not trying to throw stones at contemporary songwriters, but I, I do find myself concerned at times that uh, some of what gets revealed about us in the songs we sing or the songs we gravitate to, especially in my generation, I'm a, I'm a geriatric millennial, I think is the term, <laughs> which I don't think is a particularly flattering term, but for <laughs> on, on either, on either side of that. No. Right. Yeah. I, I, you don't want to be geriatric, anything, but geriatric millennial, meaning, you know, I, I could see my millennial generation and the Gen Z after it. And I think the the pull very much is towards songs that are that connect with our emotions. Right. And, and, and obviously, scripturally, in the Psalms, there's lots of emotional, evocative language there. But I think what you find in scripture is that emotion is always grounded in the truth of who God is and what he's done. Right. And so sometimes what gets revealed in our theology revealed in our songbook, as it were about our theology is that we're perhaps maybe God centered confessionally, but maybe a little bit more me centered actually on a personal level, if that makes sense. I think that's very well said. I've been the lead pastor at two churches and in the first church I was choosing in the earlier years, I was choosing all the songs every Sunday Mm. out of the hymnal. And I found, I gravitated, and I think you used that word, I gravitated toward the ones, I I really kind of did have a playlist. You have certain hymns or songs that you like, so you have a tendency to sing them more. But I do remember telling our our music people that there will be one hymn 
that I will not sing as long as I'm the pastor here. We won't sing it. And the the line of the last line of the chorus, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And I thought that's the worst apologetic in the history of apologetics. <laughs> sure, so sure. we're not, we're not going to sing that. Cause I just thought it was weak theologically. Oh yeah. And then you've got some of the other great hymns that have stood the test of time. I, I just wonder how much of the songs we sing today in most of our churches across this country, how many of them people are going to still be singing 20 years from now or oh, even sure. five years from now. Sure. You go back five years to what we were singing. We're not singing those anymore. It's like we're running through a top 40 all the mm. time. But the lasting power, I think, of most of the songs we sing, they don't last long. And I think that's because they don't maybe resonate deep within the soul. And as you mm. said, they resonate more with the emotion. Yeah. Uh, but having it rooted and grounded in theology, of course, is the very, very important part of that. You, you write this, let's examine our own songs. What do they reveal about us? And I'm not thinking here about right heresy, though that's out there, but something more subtle. What's always emphasized, what's never sung about. Sometimes we can be rigorous in our own theological textbooks, but lacks in our worship playlist, which often reveals that we are perhaps not quite as rigorous as we think. That's well said, my friend. Oh, man. Well, I, it's very much that's very much written from my own experience as well, where I, I realize, hey, sometimes these things aren't connecting. I'm still that kid at 19 trying to connect my theology with my songbook. So, yeah. And, you know, when we do that, it, it, whether it's a contemporary song or it's an, you know, a, a hymn a thousand years old, hmm. when we do that, it does appeal to our emotions. It does appeal to our intellect. It does appeal to our will, appeal to our will because it's rooted and grounded in scripture. Amen. Yeah. Well, and one, live. yeah, one of the things I, I think I mentioned in the article was the advice I got from one of our worship leaders about songs that you want to sing around your, your bedside in 50 years. And, and I think it connects because, you know, I have a good friend who's a, our worship leader, a deacon for worship, his name's John Vogan, great brother. And, and he just, as he came in, he, I asked him, okay, well, how are you going to pick songs? And that was one of the things he said, he said, I want to pick songs that will sing around a bedside in 50 years. And one of the things that I found is, you know, over COVID, unfortunately, we, we lost in two years, we lost more people in, in two, three years, not even just to COVID, to various illnesses than we had the previous several years. So we, we were doing, you know, a funeral every two to three months at the church for a couple of years. And that really tests you, right? It tests yeah. both, both are, are these songs that you actually want to sing in that moment? But I think what you just said, Jeff, I want to connect to is that, that sometimes these songs that have this solid scriptural truth may not feel in the moment like, well, it's full of our feelings. And so it may not emotionally connect, but that theology is really what you crave in those moments. Singing, it is well with my soul. And, but that chorus of it is well with my soul held up by the verses about God's character and nature allow you then to sing, it is well with your soul. Right. And can, do you mind if I tell the one story about our, one of our worship leaders who passed away? Because I think it's just a beautiful test of this. So we had a longtime worship leader at our church. His name was Danny. I still love him, still miss him. And I grew up with him picking the songs that I sang, you know, that we sang on Sundays. And over a number of years, he passed away from cancer. 
And so we had kind of one last day with him when it became clear cancer had spread so far, you know, he, he, he wasn't going to recover. And the doctors basically said, you know, he has a, a day or two. And so he's kind of in and out of, of, of consciousness. But we had this beautiful day where his wife, Cherry, who's just a dear woman still in our church, she, she basically asked, Hey, could, could our worship leader, John, come and do some songs at Danny's bedside? And so, I mean, that is right. That's the ultimate test of your theology is, you know, what happens in that moment. So John went and so many of the songs that Danny had taught and sung for years, those are what our church sung. So as people from our church kind of filtered in to see him, they sang, they stayed and sang a song or two. And, and even his coworkers who weren't Christians came in and, and I, the, the feedback we got from my coworkers was, this is amazing. I've never seen anything like this. I've never walked into, Hey, we're going to kind of pay our respects to this coworker. They walk in and there's like a worship service in his room. I'm sure we were breaking Jeff's some kind of hospital rules. I'm sure that they were just <laughs> looking the other way because we probably had 10 or 12 people in there and a guitar and we were singing. <laughs> but, but in that moment, the truths of, of some of those songs that Danny had sung for 20 or 30 years, some of them were contemporary songs. Some of them were hymns, beautiful mix of both. They held up is, I guess what I'm trying to say. They held up. And in that moment, what our souls craved was looking to the character and acts of the Lord that remind us of eternity, not just our own circumstances, not just connecting with our own sure. circumstances. So, yeah, so that, that will, I think, always live in my mind is kind of a vivid illustration of what we're talking about is, okay, in another 20, 30 years, we're going to be around more hospital beds. What do we want to be singing? So I'm always grateful to those two brothers for that. I love that. That's a beautiful story. So our singing reveals our theology. You also say our singing shapes our theology. So that's the re- that's sort of the reverse there being sure. true as well, right? So it, it's also true. Our theology is often formed and shaped by the songs that we sing. So you you ask the question, where is the music moving us? Mm. So talk about, you flesh that out a little bit about how our singing shapes our theology. Yeah, well, I don't know about you, Jeff, but we have a we have a pretty robust statement of faith that you know as much as I re- hope, hey, every everybody in our church will remember our statement of faith. They they probably won't. You know, <laughs> hopefully it it holds us and guides us. But I do think they'll remember the songs we sang last Sunday. And even as a Bible teacher, often I found that sometimes you know two months, three months down the road. A message that I preached two or three months ago, they may not remember the main point. I mean, hopefully God used it. I believe God used it to do work in their heart, but they may still be singing the song that we introduced two or three months ago. Right. And so, so I do think that there, there is a, if I could use this word, there is a way that, that our songs catechize our churches. You know, if you, if you go back to the old traditions of, of church pastors, you know, the, the minister, the parson, whoever would go to the, the family and help catechize them and help catechize the kids. And, and basically things like the Westminster confession, what is our only hope in life and death that we belong body and soul to our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Like these, these truths right. that we repeat to ourselves. Well, I think in, in a way, the closest thing we have today to that is often our, our songs. The songs that we sing are where we ask that question. Like recently, actually, we've been singing a song that's based on that Westminster Catechism number one question. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone is, you know, and so in that song, and essentially it, we're, we're teaching our 
our people theology without even them realizing it. And I think it's unavoidable that your songs will teach theology. I think the question is, are they teaching good theology or bad theology or even, and I would even just say, or even subpar theology. Maybe it's not, like I said, outright heresy, but maybe it's just not as, as strong or as solid as it could be, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, that makes complete and total sense. It sure does. You know, something there you reminded me of, you know, they might not remember the sermon, but they'll remember the song. How many people are reading John Wesley's sermons today versus how many people are singing Charles Wesley's hymns? Oh, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. You know, millions are singing Wesley's hymns. Probably thousands are reading the sermons and most sure. of them because we have to. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and I, I certainly don't agree with everything in Charles Wesley in the Wesleyan uh, theology. But yeah, we th- that singing shapes your theology. There's there's no question about it. It's a great great point. Let's wrap up with this today, Ricky. Our singing doxologizes our theology. So you're in terms of uh, you know one of the things we always do here on Kitchen Table Theology is we're we're always learning new new big words new theology words. So doxology, probably not an unfamiliar term to uh, our kitchen table theologians, but theology you say should result in praise. And so that's where right. the doxology comes, comes in. And you, you, you say this, a study of theology is not merely a, theor- a theoretical exercise of the intellect. It's a study of the living God and the wonders of all his works in creation and, a, and redemption. We cannot study this subject dispassionately. Love that. So our singing doxologizes our theology and it should result in praise. So talk about the connection between our singing and our singing good theology. And it's almost like an equation, isn't it? If we're singing and we're singing good theology, it equals the praise of God. Is, am I understanding that correctly? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and one of the, you know, one of the striking things that I remember that first, that first big theology I read was from Dr. Wayne Grudem. Yeah, and we're later got with that on this podcast. Let me tell you, I, oh, I good. Yeah. That a lot. That's a well from which I draw quite often. Yeah. I love Dr. Grudem, man. And so he, he, one of the interesting things he does that not every theology, systematic theology will do is he'll include a hymn at the end of each chapter. Yes. Which yes. is at first, you know, when I read it as a teen, I just kind of blew past it. Like, okay, whatever. I guess this guy's into old hymns, <laughs> whatever, you know, move on to the next chapter. Give me the theology. That's uh, right. Get to the good part. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And it felt like the, the doxology, the, the worship song at the end was kind of just a tag on to the chapter. But if you, it, it, the more time I think you spend with the Lord, the more time you spend in theology, you realize, no, actually in, in a sense, I'm not saying this to overstate it, but in a sense, the doxology at the end is the whole point of the chapter, meaning that we see the character of God and it moves us to worship. And so that, that's always struck me in that, that pattern in Grudem. You have theology, but it results in doxology. You have theology, but it results in praise to God. And recently our church just finished a study of the book of Revelation. And one of the striking things about Revelation is how much singing there is yeah. in the book. And you see, you know, sometimes they're singing about the character of God, just who he is, that he made creation. Then you're singing, some are, sometimes they're think, singing about the uh, redemptive work of God. You know, sometimes they're singing about his, his salvific, his saving acts, right? And, uh, but, but all of it is not 
you, the feel of it is not this kind of dry statement of, well, here is the Lord, here's who he is, you know, here are his attributes, but rather just a well of praise coming up when who the Lord is and what he's done is rehearsed. I remember I had a friend of mine who's a youth pastor. He said, you know, you never want your theology to feel like a divine autopsy, meaning like, (laughs) which is always kind of a vivid picture (laughs) where it's almost like just this, this passionate, we're placing little things on the table. Um, but rather it, it should feel like a, like a worship service, like that, that throne room and revelation where there's no stating of the character of God or the acts of God without the praise of God. And so, yeah, I kind of made up, I don't know if that's a real word, doxologizes, but I have a, it, is, I've got it an, ought to be, it's a great one. Well, the, yeah, I have an English, my, my bachelor's in, is in English. So they give you a license to make up words if you need to. So I just, I, I used it on that one doxologizes, but, but I think it's so important that, that often, if I could just say it this way, often you have kind of two camps of Christians, at least in my church, you have the theology Christians who love the old books who are into this thing and into that thing and are careful and are always asking good theological questions after the message. And then you got other Christians that are just like, Hey man, I just want, I just want a word for today. I just, you know, I just want to put on some worship music and feel like the Lord's presence is with me because I'm having a hard week. And sometimes there could be a bit of a dividing line between those two. And I think what we see in the Bible is really they're meant, they need each other and they're meant to live together. We, we need the solid theology of those brothers who, and sisters who love that. Um, and we need the, the immediate, Hey, this should make us sing this. Sh- we right. should be singing in our cars on the way to work. We need both of them together, which is what I think scripture gives us. And you, that's how you end. You, you say great theologians, uh, and you write this, what we sing reveals what we believe. And what we believe should inspire us to sing. And that makes all the difference for both the songs we sing at church, the songs I sing before bed with my kids, and the songs I sing on walks around my neighborhood. So go sing, fellow theologians. And I think that's a great place for us to end today. Go sing, fellow theologians. And Kitchen Table Theologian, I'll just encourage you to evaluate what are you listening to in terms of music? Uh, What's on your playlist? Does it tend to be me-centered or does it is it more god-centered is it are you singing good sound theology is that what you're listening to when you are playing music in the week and and, and you know it's uh my church ricky your church we're we're certainly not exempt i mean if we're not ensuring that good theology and good doctrine is being reflected in our songs, then we certainly are going to have something uh, to give an account for one day. So we want to continue to do that. But hey, we want to thank you very much, Ricky. Thanks for joining us today, man. It's great to meet you and uh, really, really are grateful for what you're doing, not only here on our podcast, but out there in El Paso. Oh man, Jeff, thank you, man. It's a privilege. And I would just say if folks have been intrigued by that, want to learn more, I've learned a ton of stuff. If I could just recommend one resource at close yeah. is uh, the resources that come from Bob Coughlin and Sovereign Grace Music. Those those brothers are uh, sisters are are solid theologically. I'm mean, know there's a number of places, but those are the guys I know well, and I've learned a ton of them, ton from them over the years. So shout out to Bob and Devin and Jordan, and all the other guys. Appreciate them very much. As Sovereign Grace Music. Yep. So we could just Google that and that'll pop. Yeah, SovereignGraceMusic.org. Uh, they produce worship albums. And then Bob Coughlin's got a couple books on both for the, one for the congregation and the one for the worship leader on how to think about choosing songs and things like that that have been very helpful and influential to me. So yeah, I love those guys. That's great to know. Thank you for that. 
we're going to provide a link for your book in our episode notes, Better News. So can you table theologian, go check that out. And, you know, while you're there, just go ahead and, and look at the uh, episode notes, not only for today, but every podcast we do. A lot of effort goes into making those a great resource for you. We're also going to provide a link to Ricky's article as well on three reasons we should sing sound theology. And so thank you for listening today to Kitchen Table Theology. Please take a moment whenever you're, wherever you're listening from to rate and review us. That helps other people find us. We're grateful when you do. And um, as always, thanks are due to all of our friends who make this podcast possible. Lord willing, next week, Jen and I will be back with another great episode as we continue to look at the things that Christ did for us instantaneously at the moment of salvation. So there it is. Now just go deeper. And until next time, always remember that the real power of theology is not only knowing it, but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Jen Denton and Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, you can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com. You can also email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.